in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, the podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Chad Robinson, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Brian Fry, back safely in his attic. How you doing, Brian? I'm wonderful, Chad. How are you doing? Yeah, it's all, always good when uh, the relatives have left. And today, we have a returning guest back by popular demand from the Hackers podcast. If you haven't checked it out before, listen to him there, Andrew Newman. So, West Coast, Best Coast today. How you doing, Andrew? Uh, doing quite well. Coming from uh, my new location in Las Vegas. Oh, very good. Viva Las Vegas. So, we're going to start with our warm-up questions, guys. Get us eased into this movie. We're going straight to the alien questions. If you were to dispose of a hostile alien creature, this might be relevant later. You turn to the camera. What's your one-liner? What are you saying to the audience? If you got beef, then bring the ruckus. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I, I cannot utter that one with a straight face. I can't get away with that, but maybe you can. Uh, Brian, how about you? What are you saying? I think I, if, I, if, if I'm doing it exactly the same way Will Smith's doing it, I'd probably say something along the lines of, you got knocked the f- out. Ah, so no one's saying you're one ugly mother. <laughs> Got to get some predator in here. Uh, I'm I'm just going with a simple. You picked the wrong planet. Maybe throw in E.T. or something there. Andrew, what's the last movie you saw? Top Gun Maverick. Excellent. I've heard good things. Haven't gotten to it yet. Did you like it? It is awesome. It is a fun time. You can tell that they put a lot of work into the technical aspects of the movie to make it even better from the aerial shots of the first Top Gun. And it, it's it's just a great movie. Like, it's one of those where I'm pretty sure that it's going to keep the, fran- the popularity of this franchise going for a long, long time. Nice, nice. I think you're the second or third guest that that has been their most recent movie. So I've got to get on that. I've got to be able to talk to people about this. Brian, what was the last movie you saw? Uh, I watched a pretty twisted uh, thriller on Netflix called Nocturnal Animals. Don't know that one. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Amy Adams. It's 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 pretty dark. Pretty okay. dark. All right. Did you like it? Probably would never watch it again, though. Not not super high on the rewatchability. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, speaking of not super high on rewatchability, I watched The Black Phone with Ethan Hawke, and my expectations were way, way off on this movie. I thought it was more more of an abduction-type movie, and it's closer to like a Stephen King novel. So I may actually have to watch it again just to level set my expectations, 
I I still don't know what to make of it right now. I what platform is that on? Movie theater platform. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That's old school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an analog man in a digital world. So, Brian, we've talked about it a little bit, but what movie are we covering today? Uh, today we celebrate our Independence Day. Excellent. 1996, we've got Will Smith, Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum, Mary McDonnell, and a host of other people involved. doesn't mention Randy Quaid. Come on, Russell. 1996, budget of $75 million. The amount grossed is $306 million domestically. It's number one in 1996. Movies that placed ahead of it, none, but right behind it was Twister. So 96 was a great year for these types of movies. IMDb rating, it gives it a 7.0. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics are pretty hard on this movie, 67%. The audience likes it more at 75%. It did win an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. It was nominated for Best Sound, wins three Saturn Awards, eight nominations. It does get nominated for a Golden Raspberry Worst Written Film Grossing Over $100 Million. That seems like a very targeted category, but, you know, they do, they can do that. And it won or was nominated for five MTV Movie Awards because that's relevant. I, I absolutely love that this gets tied in with the movie Twister because so many people tweeted that Bill Pullman had died when it was in fact the guy from Twister. So there was this whole thing for a little bit and I'm blanking on his name right now, but uh, yeah, Bill Paxton. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, so everybody thought Bill Pullman had died and it was Bill Paxton. And there was this like darkly funny back and forth on Twitter when it happened where he's like, no, no, you're, you're, you're thinking of, Bill Pax, man. Other, and, other Bill, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the fact that you brought up Twister in relevance to a movie with Bill Pullman, I just had to toss that in there. Yes, they are wildly different actors. Yes, they are. And for Independence Day, we'll start with you, Andrew. Had you seen this movie before? If you had, what was your expectation revisiting it now? So uh, I watched this movie opening weekend when it came out. Uh, I was living in Oregon at the time, but visiting my best friend in Colorado. And I remember uh, his mom taking me, him and his two other friends to go see it and how awesome it was then. I probably watched this movie at least 10 times. I know that I've watched it in the, prior to rewatching it for this. In the past couple of years, I've watched it at least like three or four, but you know, when you're watching it like that, that's, you're just having a good time and, you know, doing it for this, you, you really focus in on some things a lot. And this movie lives up to the expectations. It is such a fun movie. You've got so many great actors. And to me, the plot doesn't drag. They keep things moving at a pretty brisk pace. And it's just so, so much fun to watch. Plus, instead of people being, you know, antagonistic towards each other, we get to be antagonistic and, you know, kill aliens. So that's fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've got an opening weekend plus 10, 10 or so times. Brian, can you beat that? Have you seen Independence Day? And if so, what were you expecting revisiting it? 
Uh, yes, I've seen Independence Day. I have it and its sequel. Oh, dot, no. Dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a little rough. Yes, I love Independence Day. This this was a great movie. I remember seeing it as a kid. I remember being like, whoa. I would say that this was probably number two behind Top Gun for, you know, aviation fight sequences. I I would say that there was a good chunk of time there where, you know, Fox 2 became a, a, a fairly used expression uh, just for firing missiles. So, uh, yeah. I don't know. This the, I really got into this movie, and I understand it has limitations, but none of those things matter to me. Yeah, and I got to this one in opening weekend as well. But the difference for me is I didn't revisit it, and I think as I got older, I got scared of revisiting it. I went and watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three well, about three or four years ago. And I immediately had to text my father and tell him I'm sorry because he took me to see that in theaters and it is garbage. But this movie... Go, yeah. Ninja. Ninja, go. Go, it, Ninja. Go, yeah, that's, go. that's the second one. That's which, the second one. Which has problems. I, the third one is the time-traveling samurai one. I know. I just wanted to quote from Elias. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, that... Yeah, you gotta you got to quote LL for the first one. Right. That was uh, a, LL Cool J did this uh, signature song for the first one. That was a good sign that it was going to take a bad turn when Vanilla Ice was introduced. But yeah, and nevertheless, this movie, it held up. I was stunned that effects from 96 could hold up as well as they did. I mean, we covered Hackers together and saw the effects there. Kind of laughable today. Uh, now they were doing something that was just... They were trying to predict the future. That's that's really hard to do versus, hey, we, we can display aliens. But nevertheless, the practical effects on this really held up for the most part. So I, I definitely enjoyed this, and I'm glad we're getting to do another holiday movie. Check out our Leprechaun movie for St. Patrick's Day and Valentine's Day if you're in the mood for some holiday podcasts. In a few seconds, we are going to spoil this movie. If you haven't seen Independence Day, please, listening to all three of us, check it out. It's going to be worth your time. Maybe don't check out the sequel, but we're going to take a quick break, and then Brian's going to spoil this movie. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason, and this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. And we're back. This is your last chance if you haven't seen Independence Day since 1996. Put us on pause, go watch the movie. Otherwise, Brian, help us out, spoil this movie for us. 
The film centers around a trio of characters who are bound together by fate over one Fourth of July weekend. This happens to be when the world realizes that it's not alone in the galaxy. The alien race introduces itself by positioning positioning its ships about major cities around the world, synchronizing their attacks. David, an MIT graduate and cable repairman, arrives to work to find the countdown to the attack signal embedded within their cable satellite system. He rushes to tell President Whitmore, a man who he thought at one time was sleeping with his wife, the news. As David and the president hurriedly evacuate, several major cities are destroyed. The president then launches a counterattack, introducing pilot and space enthusiast Captain Stephen Hillard, a Marine pilot. Uh, His unit is all but wiped out as he manages to bring down the single alien craft hailing him. He he recovers the alien from the downed craft and is picked up by an unlikely crop duster and his family as they are fleeing from the danger. He reports that he saw a base nearby, and that base being Area 51, all the main characters unite in the same location. From there, they learn of the alien's plans for Earth and hatch a daring plan full of airplanes, spaceships, and a nasty computer virus, thanks hackers, to take down the alien invaders. All of this was made possible by a very rousing speech by the president. It was really mostly the speech that did it. It's true. An improv speech at that. Like, I, I love the fact that the extras weren't supposed to cheer and applaud, but they did so anyways, because Bill Pullman is a good actor. Dude, the, the one guy who gives him the super enthusiastic salute. <laughs> I just... I guess. <laughs> oh man, I love it. I seriously, it's top five best movie speeches of all time, and and I know everyone would probably just slaughter me for that. I don't even care. I love the Independence <laughs> Day president speech. I'm not going to cr- critique you for that. I think it's awesome, especially since so, I think the this will be our Independence Day was improved. Andrew, uh, our director here, his name is Dean Devlin. He said a lot of the alien movies were too small scale for him. They were landing in cornfields, you know, in the middle of Iowa, Nebraska, some of the flyover states. It just didn't seem like it was going to be a huge invasion scale. And that's what he was shooting for here. Do you like the grander scale? Do you like the world truly being threatened as opposed to Stranger Things where small town in Indiana? Well, I think that part of the beauty of this movie is that they give us a little bit of both, right? Because they tell us, and we learn that he's not crazy, he has been probed, that aliens had landed here beforehand, so that they've, you know, they've they've sent out scouts to scout the area before coming in for the invasion. Do I like that? getting to that stage yeah i think that it's you know like starship troopers short answer yes i love the scale of the movie i think that makes it you know a lot of fun and i think that it's the type of movie where it would even be better if it was done nowadays as like a you know 10 part netflix series where instead of being like like two hours they could have made it 10 hours Hmm. i think that would have been would be even better for 10 hours okay all right i i could see that you could you could kind of flip back and forth between the countries and how they're dealing with it before they're all united together i still think it's interesting because 
because they showed Israeli soldiers, this movie wound up being banned in Lebanon. Apparently there's a ban if you show Israel in any form of positive light. So Lebanon did not get to this movie uh, due to pressure from Hezbollah. I think it's funny too because they, you know, they. I feel like they made a really nice little like nod there to be like, look, they're fighting alongside each other because you know we've got bigger problems than you know earthly squabbles. Right. Yeah. I, like, I that's one of the parts of the movie I like. <laughs> no, no, no one's checking credentials when the mothership arrives on the horizon. I think there's people on this planet that might be like, mm, I'll give the aliens a try. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, we saw that though. I I appreciated that in this movie because that's exactly you're right. That's exactly what would happen. All the ones that gathered on top of that New York skyscraper with the signs and everything saying "Beam me up" and everything else, and then they get obliterated. I mean, fantastic. This is so cool. <laughs> the aliens are clearly not here for a good time. They're here for an invasion. So, Brian, what did you think uh, of this more, it's almost more of a War of the Worlds style than it is of uh, Close Encounters? Oh, give me this 100% of the time. I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, 85% of the movie Signs was awesome. Mm, So, you know, I don't mind the suspense version of it, but, dude, like, all of of the aerial fight scenes from this were amazing. I, I... could not get enough of it. When I was rewatching it, I even rewound it and watched just the, you know, the, the president kicking butt at the end of it. So I, uh, yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah. I, I think as a kid was just stuck with me and this was in so many of the advertisements and so many of the trailers that it's, they were trying to get it to stick with you when the white house gets blown up, man, that is an image that just gets burned into your retinas. It's, it's something powerful to see that symbol of your country just obliterated. Did you feel the same way in Live Free or Die Hard? No. <laughs> no, I did not. Okay, so the Capitol can blow up, just not the White House. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah, it. I mean, the the White House being <laughs> blown up by a mothership, which is, it's a bad target, to be perfectly honest. Like, that's just a uh, symbolic victory right there. Right. Right. It's it's already been burned. It was burned in 1812. There's your history lesson, folks. Well, the War of 1812, it might have been a different year. But, yeah, the miniatures here, they're using a lot of practical effects. And I I think we've said the same thing for Jurassic Park, which is probably going to come up in this movie again. Uh, For some of the quotes, they're using a lot of practical effects. They're using models. Andrew, you mentioned... If they made it nowadays, my fear is it would be a CGI fest. I haven't seen Independence Day Resurgence. Uh, Brian, it sounds like you did. Is that the route they went? Was it a CGI fest? I mean, it's definitely utilized. I didn't find it bad because of the CGI, though. It was just bad because it was bad. Like, they... they, It... Basically, it's the it's the it's the evil version of Top Gun Maverick. It's it's the way not to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's yeah, it's it was one of those things that would, it wasn't it wasn't bad because, you know, that they 
they trounced upon what made the first one good. It was bad just because they probably hurriedly made something. It was a money grab. The plot was loose. They couldn't get everybody back for it. It just, yeah, it, it just wasn't a good film. Well, you're talking about quick turnarounds. My my goodness, this movie, looking into it, the script was written in four weeks, and it had 72 days of filming. That doesn't scream the quality that we got here. Knowing those numbers, does that surprise you that what we got was one of the biggest summer blockbusters ever? Guys, this is the kind of results you can expect from President Thomas J. Whitmore. Bill Pullman for president. Whoa. I'd vote for him. Oh, I would 100% vote for him. That was more oh of a Paxton. Dude, if it, seriously, if he really did run for president and he got up on stage at a rally and then did the Independence <laughs> Day speech, I'd be like, yep, you got my vote. <laughs> I mean, I can't see... I guess George H.W. Bush actually was a fighter pilot, and I don't know if they were basing some of this on him at the time, but no, I can't see, because we keep nominating 70 to 80-year-olds for president, I can't see any of them jumping in a fighter plane and fighting off the aliens. I just want to say that if he does it this next go-around, he'll be, let's see, he'd be 70 when he took office. Bill Pullman? Yeah. Okay. All right. He's 68 years old. Okay. Well, that is that is within line of what we keep voting for in electing. So. And he's got a great beard right now. I mean, it's just, it is hermit-level beard. <laughs> he will need to shave that down for his presidential run. All right. We talked about the, the script being very short turnaround. We've also got a lot of storylines here. We have... Uh, Will Smith's storyline, we have the president's storyline, we have David, who is our resident hacker, uh, Jeff Goldblum's character, we have Vivica Fox as uh, Will Smith's girlfriend, uh, her story kind of converges with the president's wife, and then we have Russell Cass, who I, I still don't know, this movie... I, I don't know whether I believe him still. I don't know if this movie is trying to exonerate him, but I don't know that I believe that he was actually probed. I think he is genuinely crazy. But we've got all these storylines put together. I, I want to say something about that real quick. Sure. Why? Just because he got probed has nothing to do with whether or not he's crazy. Wouldn't you think getting probed by aliens would be more prone to make a person crazy? Absolutely. I just don't know if it's a chicken or an egg here. Like, was he crazy and imagined being probed, or was he probed and then made crazy? So I I don't know. It seems like Vietnam, there was a lot of trauma there. So so who knows? The boy likes the sauce. Yeah. Yeah, who knows with that? But as far as our characters, we've got all these different storylines that are converging eventually on Area 51. Andrew, do you like splitting this up so we've got so many different storylines that are coming together? Yeah, I think that's a great way to do it because it, it can be overdone in movies sometimes. But I think in this particular case, it all comes together in kind of a brilliant way because these are... You know that's what's going to happen when you start having all of the major population centers of the planet decimated very quickly. The 
next thing that's going to happen is the people who are surviving are going to converge together, right? So mm-hmm. you are get people from all these different places, and it makes sense that how they all come together. You know, like Will Smith's a trained pilot; he knows what a base looks like, so he knows there's one there. He's not coming there for any other reason than other than he knows there's a base nearby. That's it, and he's got an alien. It happens to be the right one, but it all falls together very nicely in that way. And, but it didn't feel contrived. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you're essentially quoting from world war Z of how population centers will flock to certain locations in a disaster. If you haven't read that book, check it out. Max Brooks is great. Brian, how about you? Are these multiple storylines? Was there anyone that didn't really work for you? Are you enjoying all of them? The only thing I didn't like about the multiple storylines was trying to write a synopsis for this podcast for them. <laughs> I was like, gosh, I didn't even mention that. Ah, oh, and I did mention that. And it's like uh, everything is, you know, of you know, uh, a, a partial importance to the whole. Um, and then, you know, the cool thing about movies like this is where you have so many different plot lines and so many just different stories that, you know, in the end, it has to you, know, you have to use words like fate. To, to explain it because without any one of them, none of this would have happened. And the, we mentioned earlier, this brings into the conspiracy theory of area 51. And this movie had the military's full support until that little detail came up. And when they found out they were going to be doing area 51, the military pulled out, they pulled their support. So this is not getting the top gun treatment Although the extras in the squad room uh, with Will Smith, they actually are Marine Corps fighter pilots. But yeah, the military said, you're doing the conspiracy stuff, we're out. So that's that's unfortunate. Couldn't they have caught an Area 52 or something and just moved on? <laughs> totally not Area 51, yes. Yeah. We'll I'm call kidding. it Space 3. Considering this past year, or you know, past year and a half, the government came out and said, like, "Hey, we've got all of these unidentified flying, plane, you know, aircraft that we can't explain, and there's a lot of them." It's like, hmm, maybe there's some truth here. Yeah, the truth is out there for you guys. Some of the UFO sightings were actually from this movie, though. That's uh, the welcome wagon that they created the helicopters they put a bunch of flashing lights on it and so i guess they didn't really make it known in orange county but there were 150 calls i think for this unidentified flying object that was just flashing lights all over the place and it was their helicopter so excellent so there there's at least 150 sightings of of some of our issues this cast man there's there's too many to get through. Even in our top billing, we, we were leaving out Randy Quaid, who shouldn't be left out. He he had oh, a, all. He had a fun storyline. He had his he had the big redemption arc. Uh, they Will Smith. I I thought of this movie as a Will Smith vehicle. I guess from growing up, that was that was who I knew. That was who who I could identify. But going back, I'm like, eh, this is more of a Bill Pullman vehicle. But Will Smith was almost not used. 
Dean Devlin and Rowan Emmerich were the ones they said Stephen Hiller should be a black man, and they were met with resistance and racism because they said they we want Will Smith. We want Stephen Hiller to be black, and we specifically want Will Smith. And there was a lot of studio pushback because they said he's a comedy actor. But eventually they got what they wanted, and this pretty much launched Will Smith's career into the stratosphere. So what does this movie look like without Will Smith? Was he a driving force for you guys like he was for me to go see this? Not only is he a driving force, but I well, I think we'll get to this later, but I think that he is one of the most important people in the movie. I don't think that you get anywhere the same quality of movie if you don't have an actor that's on his level with that type of star quality. And I think there are only, there were only so many of those in 1995 or whenever they made it, whenever they filmed it. And I, I think that the, 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 whoever the studio execs were that didn't want Will Smith should pretty much immediately lose their jobs. Agreed. I agree with that too. That's yeah. Right on. So you're not looking for uh, 96 Sam O'Neill or passed on Steph Curry. Maybe you don't yeah. keep your job anymore. You passed on, you want to pass on Will Smith. Maybe you don't keep your job anymore. Yeah. Truth. Yeah. We all make mistakes, but Will Smith does crush it here. We almost got his real life wife in this movie. She wasn't his wife at his time, but Jada Pinkett Smith, she turned down the role that eventually went to Vivica A. Fox. I think it's interesting because I I don't know that Jada was in a ton at that time. Like She was in Demon Knight, uh, Tales from the Crypt, but I don't know what else she would have been in. I don't know that that one would have changed the the tone of this one too much yeah i i i'm not saying vivica fox has the most compelling story arc or anything like that but i mean everybody in this movie is fairly cemented in in said role i'm not saying jaded would have done a bad job or anything and just i don't know i have a hard time seeing anybody else in in these roles well, could you see Chandler Bing himself, Matthew Perry? He was offered the role of Jimmy Raven Wilder. He's Will Smith's friend and compatriot. Can you see him in this role? I could, but I absolutely love the the, the character as portrayed. I, uh, I, I would not have made that change. So you like Harry Connick Jr.? I do. Andrew, do you want... Chandler being in this movie? Harry Connick Jr. is one of the actors that I don't understand why he's not in more stuff. Yeah. Uh, anything he's in, he like he does a great job. When he was in Will and Grace, he's fantastic in that. He's just got this, like, I know that, like, he's a handsome dude, but he's a goofy-looking handsome dude. His face is a little weird, and somehow it freaking works for him. And I feel like that's part of his charm, is that he's like, I know that as goofy as I look, I shouldn't be here, but I am, so I'm going to have a great attitude about it. Like, I know I'm standing next to Will Smith right now, and it like, why is this happening? I don't know, but I'm going to have fun with it. Yeah, yeah, I, Chandler would be distracting for me. Yeah, I know Matthew Perry 
could be other characters, but primarily his movie roles he was playing Chandler Bing. I, yeah, I, I like Harry Connick Jr. here, but his don't feel too bad. Matthew Perry's dad did get a role in this movie. He is a Secret Service agent. That is Bennett Perry. We have one more alternate timeline casting. Here's something that I know you guys are just going to jump on. You're going to be so excited for Matthew Broderick as David Levinson, the role played by Jeff Goldblum. Hard pass. (laughs) I'm a big math. I like Matthew Broderick. I do, too. And I'm a big Jeff Goldblum fan, so you're actually throwing me a decent curveball here because I could see Matthew Broderick really doing that well. But at the same time, Jeff Goldblum is so fantastic in the role that you like you don't really want to spoil it taking a shot with somebody else. But I could see Broderick doing doing a lot with that role. I'm offended you even considered it. <laughs> Oh, oh, it is such a different tone that Jeff Goldblum would bring versus Matthew Broderick. I mean, it would be it would be a different movie. I, w- I would wonder how Judd Hirsch would play it. That was going to be my next question was, are we keeping Judd Hirsch as his dad? Because I'm finding Judd Hirsch being Goldblum's father to be very believable. Yes. Judd being Matthew Broderick's father, I'm finding a little bit less believable by about six months. <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely a different dynamic there. I I do like Judd Hirsch and his his time with his son. I thought that was all a whole lot of fun. So we've got our, our film creators. We've got Dean Devlin, who is our producer, but he also wrote this film. He wrote it with Roland Emmerich, uh, he, like I said earlier, he disliked movies where aliens were in low-key invasions. He wanted a grand-scale invasion, so that's that's how he started with Independence Day. Is he wanted? I feel like he was heavily influenced by Star Wars. There's a lot of Star Wars-esque shots. Andrew, you mentioned some of the scenes as well. There, there's a lot going on here where his ships just have that scale that. We get in A New Hope when you see the first Imperial Star Destroyer. His other works, Universal Soldier might be the first big-ish one in 92. We have Stargate 94, Independence Day. He does Godzilla with Matthew Broderick, so he does get to work with Matthew Broderick. Unfortunate for him. And Godzilla, then he does The Patriot, probably the most accurate historical film of all time. (laughs) <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I wanted to make a comment about uh, Godzilla real quick because I had actually been thinking about Godzilla earlier when Andrew was uh, blasphemously considering replacing Jeff Goldblum. Um, I, I actually really liked Godzilla with the exception of Matthew Broderick. I, I think the only Matthew Broderick movie I've ever liked was Glory. Oh, man. Did you just not include Ferris Bueller's Day Off? You know, it's one of those movies that I thought was funny the first time I watched it, and then I just never watched it again. Friendship over. Right. <laughs> These are some smoking hot takes. Yeah, yeah I, gotta, I gotta throw you guys some hot takes every once in a while. How yeah. do you not like Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Oh my god. I didn't God. say I didn't like it. I said I thought it was funny the first time, and I just never watched it again. Oh, 
Dude. That's the opposite of saying I don't like it. <laughs> you need to rewatch that. It's an amazing. And what about Broderick and the producers? That's true. Was he a driving force in that, though? Yeah. Yes. Mm. Okay. <laughs> he is our director here. He is also responsible. He went back to this well and 20 years later with the Independence Day resurgence. Uh, he's done yeah, Midway and Moonfall. I haven't seen those. But, yeah, he, he's got quite a few blockbusters. Real quick, did you guys, I'm not saying it's historically accurate, but did you enjoy The Patriot? I yeah, I did. I really did. I, I was hoping we wouldn't come back around to that, but... Oh, uh, no, no, yeah. come back around uh, to that. I, uh, it, I tell you what, I, I probably have... I've watched The Patriot in clips hundreds of times. Like, I will watch the hatchet scene until burning a church... Basically, just just before then, I will watch that chunk of that movie pretty much on repeat. So, yeah, I for context, I have a master's degree in early American history up up to the Civil War. So the the Patriot is something that I really have to make a concerted effort to ignore everything on screen and just get some popcorn because it it's painful. (laughs) But. It's still a fun movie. I will give you that. I, I yeah, I'll I'll give it. I enjoy it. I uh, I don't have a master's degree in history, and the first time I saw it, I was like, oh man, this has got to tick a lot of people off. <laughs> One of my professors hated it so much they screened it for us and just spent the entire time berating this movie of how it was the worst thing to happen to cinema. So I've got a little bit of that just always in the back of my mind. I heard there was actually a fairly large uproar about it in England. That doesn't surprise me. From the descendants of Bannister Tarleton, who just has a villainous name. I mean, come on. It's true. It's true. You can't name your kid Bannister Tarleton and expect good things. Like, that dude's gonna... He's gonna kill some people. (laughs) Swing and a miss. I'm assuming Andrew the Patriot is uh, your your bailiwick. You are uh, you are going to bat for it. I, I I think it's a you know it's a fun movie. I think that like what Fry was saying, some of the scenes being so rewatchable over and over. I love the quote: "Aim small, miss small." Yep. Mm, yeah. So there's you know there's a lot of uh, good fun things there. Obviously, if you're trying to get historical accuracy from Hollywood. Well, kind of like barking up the wrong tree. I feel like Mel Brooks did a great job of nailing the history of the world. Nothing? Yes. All right. I, don't <laughs> know that I, I was, I, I, I had, I had to lock down my quote for the end of the show. I just got inspiration. I had to lock it down immediately. So I was focused. I right. apologize. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. But rest assured to our studio audience that doesn't exist. I have a quote for the end of the movie. Very good. Very good. So we, we've we talked about Will Smith a little bit of how he was a surprise inclusion. I, like I said, I didn't remember this movie as well as I thought I did. I expected to be introduced to Will Smith a lot sooner than what we were introduced to, to him. I think this movie now is more of a 
Bill Pullman vehicle, even though it did launch Will Smith's career. We don't see Will Smith for almost 25 minutes of this movie. But then when when he gets on board, we have some what is it, Beggar's Canyon type Star Wars moments. We've got the Grand Canyon or is it the Grand Canyon because he's in Arizona? Uh, this just or is it just a I always canyon? assumed it was I always assumed it was Grand Canyon because the their fight was over LA and then he, they bugged out east. So that would take him, you know, Vegas Grand Canyon the direction. Correct. Yeah. Now they got there pretty quick. <laughs> it's supposed I know they're in fighter planes, but Andrew, you were saying about the Grand Canyon Area 51 detour. Yeah, I uh, I always took that that's where that was, um, and I think that when it comes to filming aerial battles, directors have clearly recognized that the western half of the United States, particularly that you know California and Nevada. Arizona, New Mexico area is just phenomenal and makes for just better cinematography. Like I don't need my aerial battles taking place over Florida. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to look as visually awesome as it being under this big sky out in the desert. I would love an aerial battle over Disney world though. Like that would be awesome. Did it surprise you guys? Andrew, I know you said you, you go back to this movie a lot, but does it surprise you when you think of this movie, you probably think Will Smith that he's omitted from this movie for the first quarter of it. I don't think that bugs me. It, it, I think that I know the movie well enough in the setup that like, I don't mind, I don't need my action, my star to just be put on screen for the heck of it. Like let him come in when he, when it, when it's appropriate in the story and then let him star. And that's what he does. Like, I'm sorry, but to me, this is a, this is a Will Smith movie with, you know, Jeff Goldblum second. Hmm. Okay. Brian, are you, you okay with your big star setting out a quarter of the movie? Oh, a hundred percent. I don't think that someone necessarily has to be, this is a three headed monster for me with a 0.5. If you want to include Randy Quaid in this, because he does start fairly early. This is it's Goldblum and Bill and Will, and it's it's nothing without all three of them. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, it just it focused more on the politics and that that caught me off guard. I kind of felt bad for the struggling president who, rightly or wrongly, kind of needed this moment because he was floundering in the polls. He was ineffective. And it takes the world getting invaded and things being blown up for him to find something that he's good at. It's not, I don't think it's necessarily something that he's good at. I just think it's, it's, you know, it's, it goes into like doing things you believe in and that sort of piece where, you know, she said he lacks ambition and, you know, he, he just knows how to help and then he does it. I don't think there's anything wrong with a guy just going out and saying, you know, I have a degree from MIT and I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Like, why? Why crap on a guy for doing something he likes? Yeah. And so our our film is, we've got quite a few different locations, but the fun part for me was Los Angeles International Airport. So they're filming on Los Angeles International Airport. It's delayed several days. And for folks that are old enough, 
Ted Kaczynski is the reason. There was a threat from the Unabomber. Uh, they, they did wind up reusing the sets from uh, American presidents for the White House interiors, and then that gets reused again for two wildly different movies. So we have Nixon and Mars Attacks, which is probably my favorite oh, juxtaposition of movies uh, to just throw in there. Like These are the sequential movies that reused Independence Day sets. Mars Attacks is fun. This actually convinced Steven Spielberg, too, who was going to be doing a War, a War of the Worlds movie. He decides not to get involved with it. This was such a big thing. Uh, I think it delayed Mars attacks by a year. So Independence Day just took over everything. Obviously, Spielberg revisits War of the Worlds. We get Tom Cruise in it. Uh, that was, what, early 2000s? Yeah, it sounds right. Uh, it doesn't work as well. It doesn't work as well here. So our aliens, these are not the aliens I think we were expecting. They're they're small and in kind of suits. I don't want to say people in suits because they're not, but these aliens kind of have almost like mechs, I guess. Do you like the design of our, our small little alien friends here? You know, I think there's a a, a weird kind of balance beam you have to do where you know people expect aliens to look a certain way and then you ha also want to be original and i think that's where your your body suit armor you know there it's much more sinister looking than the aliens themselves so i, I you know uh, x files went at aliens in a very traditional way and i think that Anything that happened in the 90s dealing with aliens had to basically divest itself in a fairly major way from that. Mm. Andrew, do you do you like our aliens? We mentioned signs earlier. I think of that as just excellent alien design. Do you like the Independence Day aliens? They're okay. It's probably the least important part of the movie in the sense that, like, all that really mattered was that the aliens didn't look stupid. <laughs> like, if, you know, you can't flub that that way. But in terms of, like, when I'm talking, if I were to talk about this movie, that would be one of the last things I would bring up. It's not why I watch this movie. Like, the only, the I would say the only real cool part with the aliens is um, when the, uh, uh, when he's got his, uh, I don't know, his tentacle around the uh, one scientist guy, so he's massaging his vocal cord to speak through him. Was that Brent Spiner? That was uh, Mr. Data, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Data plays the doctor. Yeah. In Area 51. Oh. I did not know that. Oh. Yeah, it's Data. <laughs> Poor Brent Spiner. Dude, he's... He looks like Data. He rolls up in this movie, and I'm like, this is probably the genesis of where I started thinking all you need in the world is to be on, like, one sci-fi thing and then just ride the paycheck <laughs> from Comic-Cons the rest of your life. But there are people now that put this to shame because I was like, oh, date. so Data's got Data, and he has Independence Day now. I was like, this guy is set. But now you got guys like Jason Isaac – or uh, – um, 
Moon Knight. Oscar uh, Isaac. O- Oscar Isaacs. And you're like, oh my God, this guy's got X-Men. He's got MCU. He's got, you know, Ex Machina. He's got Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah. Like, this dude, like, he, if there's a Mount Rushmore of people you could get for Comic-Con, Oscar Isaacs has got to be like 1 or 1B. Uh, Samuel Jackson? Yeah. Samuel Jackson would probably be up there, too. But I'm telling you, like, he's checked off. If he was in a Star Trek anything, he'd be done. Like, that's that's GOAT. That's GOAT level. So if Oscar Isaacs gets anything in Star Trek, GOAT level. I feel like Chris Pine's now angling for MCU as well. Right. It's interesting. That's, I I hadn't thought of thought of it that way, but yeah, there are a lot of people that are in minor horror movies that keep popping up, and I see them for Comic-Cons all the time. It's like, oh yeah, you were in this, you were in this. I mean, you'll always have like fan favorites where, you know, all you need is that one role, and that's awesome. I'm blanking on the guy's name, but he was in Alias, and he's uh, Wexley and uh, the pilot in Star Wars, the uh, Force Awakens, uh, Snap Wexley. Uh, anyway, uh, Grumberg, I think is his last name. Anyway, uh, I, I knew him from Alias, and I, he's a big J.J. Abrams guy, so he gets cast in a lot of you know smaller roles with J.J. Abrams. And I'm like, dude, you are getting that paycheck. Like, he's just one of those guys that I would expect to see uh, at, a, at a Comic-Con because, you know, you, you did it. You're in a Star Wars movie. You, you have a named pilot in a Star Wars movie. It doesn't matter anything <laughs> else you do the rest of your life. You are a named pilot. I feel like Porkins is probably not doing very well. Stay on target. Uh, yeah. What is uh? On that real quick. Uh, so the actor, I'm forgetting, blanking on his name, but it's when uh, Pullman asks, he goes, "Is that glass bulletproof?" And he goes, "No, sir." sir. And they start shooting at the alien. The guy, he's the he's one of the lead actors. Oh, at, you're talking about Baldwin, Adam Baldwin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Love that guy, and I feel like well, yeah, was, Firefly man. He he's set for life too. He's got yeah, Independence Day. I, I feel like he's like one of the ultimate Comic Con guys. Yeah, hundred percent. And we we talk about like ultimate Comic Con guys because you don't see these guys getting a ton of work. That's where Greg, I think his name's Greg Grunberg, uh, where he and and guys like Adam Baldwin come in because you know they're you know B level actors, and that's not a knock on them at all because I actually love both of them, um, but. They've always got that paycheck. They could do nothing else the rest of their life but show up at Comic Cons, and they're set. And I envy that. I like as a as a giant nerd for comic books, science fiction, fantasy, all the things. Do you have any idea how awesome it would be for that kind of financial security? That not only do you get to be in something that thousands upon thousands of people want to see you show up in person to a uh, basically a Halloween event. Yeah. Like that's amazing. That is that is that's the life. That is the life right there. there Plus, his, both those guys' ability to get laid by girls in costumes through the roof. Oh, a hundred percent. And and you know what? I bet they're both happily married. And I'm like, dude. Back back to our movie. So one of the fun facts for our aliens: they're slimy in appearance. They're smaller. They just weren't going for what we would traditionally think as an alien. But they cover the costumes in KY jelly. To make them slimy and they had a lot of problems in the arizona sun the desert sun filming a lot of this and so the these aliens had to be covered in like gallons of ky jelly which had to be a super awkward 
purchase for everyone involved there. Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe California. Oh no, man, it's Hollywood. Yeah, they see you, California. That's, that's probably like, like a Thursday. Gallons of KY, sure, why not? That's you're I mean, right. How, how how are you gonna have you know fights in the in a pool filled with KY if you don't buy it by the gallon? That, exactly. That yeah, I'm I'm th- I'm thinking that's like it. I I, I want to come up with something clever like Thirsty Thursday, but. Uh, there, there's got to be a, a bar or something in LA that, that this is just like a Wednesday for him. <laughs> That's true. You, you guys are the uh, heathens out on the West Coast. We don't know anything about that in Pittsburgh, mostly because it's raining all the time. The jelly would just wash <laughs> off. Special effects and lighting. This movie at the time it it may still hold it i didn't check because i'm incredibly lazy it holds the record for most miniature model work in one film i really feel like that's part of the reason it holds up still it wasn't relying on 90s computer technology to try and generate something like this do you guys like the miniature work oh it's wonderful i don't think that that's how they did it I like I I don't give things always that type of thought. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, and I think you're right. That I think that's why it does hold up. You know, watching that on a nice, you know, new TV, it holds up. It looks like it was made five years ago. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's one of the things. Yeah, the technology wasn't there, but really benefited the original Star Wars is a lot of the industrial light magic crew they're building these large scale miniatures and so even with this film there's a fun scene where a bus gets tossed and the the director's commentary he says yeah we we literally just kicked a model bus and watched it kind of fly off so their their white house which was the the centerpiece of all of this it was built at one twelfth scale so it's it's a pretty large model and they had nine cameras filming the explosions at various speeds there was one that was 12 times faster than normal then they played it all back in a normal speed it makes the explosion seem larger and, and slower on film the area 51 craft I, I actually thought this might be something that wasn't a practical effect it, they built the full model, it was 65 feet wide. So the spaceship that they had in Area 51, that was that was the real deal. I'm continuously amazed by, I, you know, I was, I was talking to my wife the other day about how much fun it must be to be a sound engineer for movies. You know, the, the guys that, you know, hear a branch crack and they say, oh, that was a really good noise. I need to record that, you know, just that that level of intensity in your work. I love that about film, like the over, the, I mean, I'm going to call it over the top. It's, it's probably just what the job requires, but it, when I hear about some of the stuff that they do for effects and, and whatnot, like that's, that's inspiring what people go through. Like just like even the scene where the, the, the flames are creeping around the side of the Capitol, like that was awesome. That was an awesome effect. And that could have taken a week to do. You know what I mean? It's fascinating watching those because I've I've heard I watched something on the Mortal Kombat sound effects. Like we needed to make the sound of a kidney exploding. It was like, well, what the heck? And they filled this bucket 
with jello and some other substance and then took a plunger and was squishing it down to make that sound just like how nice. do you how do you come up with this exactly but i mean it sounds fun though right like like i want to do that yeah, yeah <laughs> like i don't know anything about it i have no idea what goes into it but man i'm game like let's let's throw 250 water balloons filled with shaving cream with different amounts in each to try to get one sound for one tenth of a second in the film. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's legit, man. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the futuristic uh, computers, but this is fun for me. They were built in the fifties. They're showing the supercomputers of the fifties and these just giant screens and all these buttons as this is the best our government has. This is this is the future. And in, in fact, it was 40 years ago. So you can fool the, yeah. the general public by making a computer really big. Indeed. And Brian, you were mentioning sound. So they're having fun with this movie. At the very beginning during the invasion scenes, there's a drum rhythm. And it's beating out Morse code letters. And those letters for the drums... And Morse code are D-I-E. Nice. The Simpsons episode where a sideshow Bob's, you know, coming after Bart and he has tattooed on his stomach and says, die, Bart, die. And he says, no, 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 it's German. Stands for the Bart, the. <laughs> yes, they are. They are German aliens. Yeah, this this score actually won a Grammy. So it it's one of the rare movies to have won a Grammy, but not not be nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, we also had an interesting score change. Tears for Fears was almost in this movie. It was going to play during the same scene that R.E.M.'s It's the End of the World as We Know It. They changed at the last minute to R.E.M. Do you guys want Tears for Fears or do you want R.E.M.? Nope, R.E.M. I don't know. Everybody wants to rule the world would be pretty epic, right? All right. So you you want an epic Tears for Fears, Andrew? Uh, you know, I just think they're 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 a little underrated in my book. Uh, I, I like REM a lot. Just I'm just saying I, I could see it go in both directions. How about that? That's fair. That's fair. I it's such a fun song for this movie that I I lean towards. It's the end of the world as we know it. But yeah, I, I do like the Tears for Fears song. Did you guys find yourselves into this soundtrack? Into It's largely orchestral. I mean, it's definitely a recognizable one. Like if I were at a uh, trivia night or something like that and they played a chunk from Independence Day, like I would definitely know what it was. And I think that puts it in good company. You get movies like... Uh, Hunt for an October, Top Gun. I know we brought that up a couple of times, but there are movies that, you know, are, I don't want to say defined by their soundtrack, but greatly identifiable by that. Mm. It, it, to me, it's the soundtrack's nowhere close to the, you know, Top Gun or uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. But, but you'd still know it. Like, if, yeah. Well, first off, Guardians of the Galaxy is a compilation piece. I, I'm just talking about score wise. You would, it's a fingerprint. I'm not trying yeah, but, to rank them. But even Top Gun's got, you know, like a wide variety of artists on the soundtrack for that movie, right? 
Right, but I'm just talking about from a score perspective. Like, okay, it, it, it's in yeah. that it's it's in that company. It's poor man's. I'll give you that. Well, like I said, I'm not ranking it. I'm just saying you know it. Like, if I played the Independence Day opening score, you'd be like, oh, that's a song from Independence Day. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. that's all I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. So this this is like a John Williams away from top tier score for you, Andrew. It it needs that little bit extra. You know, I'm I'm, I'm like I'm okay with the score as it is. That's not why I'm coming to this movie. You know, I want to. I'm watching this movie because I want Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum to entertain me, and because I want to watch aliens get blown up. Yeah, that's kind of reverting back to what drew us in in the first place, I think. As we all watch the previews, we're like, Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, we like them. White House getting blown up, this looks awesome. So you're right. Yeah, it, it doesn't have to have a top-tier score, but I, I do think the score helps quite a bit here. I I like everything that's going on. Is it something extremely memorable, like, Highway to the Danger Zone, probably not. But but again, but, you're 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 going back to individual tracks, right? Like I'm I'm thinking about just pure, you know, the, the score that was made for the movie itself. Well, is it Lord of the Rings? No, but it's still really sure. recognizable. Right, and and I think any film that has a fingerprint score, like where you can, like, and I'm not talking about the entire thing. If you play something random from the middle of the movie or something, sure you don't recognize it. I'm talking about that that title score song that they do for you know whatever the opening is or, or whatnot, and and that's good company to be in. Like again, I'm not ranking it. I'm not saying this is number three in the best you know movie scores of all time. Just the fact that it has that fingerprint puts it in good company. Agreed. Yeah, it won a Grammy for a reason, so it's it's doing its job. It created a memorable score for this movie, an identifiable one. So let's let's talk about other awards. It's time for our movie superlatives. This, these are our awards. Are you guys ready to hand out some? Let's do it. All right. Andrew, we'll start with you. Who is your MVP of Independence Day? Will Smith. Will Smith. Excellent choice. Everything I had said already, that that was not much of a shocker to the listeners. Uh, I don't think it's particularly close. Not that other people don't do a great job, but he's got the most amount of scenes where it's just him. Like, it's him and the alien. And the, those stuff, the stuff like that. And he's entertaining by himself talking to a dead alien that he's dragging across the desert. Or knocked out it, unconscious alien. Could have been at a barbecue. <laughs> you know what line I forgot? It was directly after the welcome to Earth line was the... That's what I call a close encounter. Yeah. Like, we didn't need that. He does have great speeches to the aliens, but yes, we get it. Aliens, close encounter. It's one of those things, it's like, really, this movie? You can do better. But maybe they can't. No, I actually enjoyed that. Oh, okay. All right. Come on. You know I mean, I this, this, is, this is a movie greatly defined by one-liners. That's true. I mean, yeah. it really hung its hat on its one-liners. Welcome to Earth was enough. That's, that's all I'm saying. We didn't need that second part. 
I had forgotten it happened. Brian, who is your MVP? I'm giving this one to Bill Pullman. I, I think I think everybody probably tipped their hat a little bit early on this one, but uh, this this movie really introduced me to uh, to Bill Pullman. I think I had seen Spaceballs beforehand, but I I can't swear to it. And then he followed this movie up with one of my f- absolute favorite movies of all time in Lost Highway. So it's this is. Yeah, I've got to go Bill Pullman on this. Bill Pullman for president. Okay. All right. And I am going to complete the three-headed monster, as you called it, Brian. I'm going with Jeff Goldblum as David Levinson. We didn't plan this. There's no cahooting. No. Zero cahooting in this. Are you kidding me? Audience. Planning for a podcast? No. No. Right. Uh, This is uh, building the plane while flying it. But yeah. Yeah, I thought Jeff Goldblum stole the show. I, Will Smith was called Mr. Charisma by the crew, but I actually thought Goldblum had the most charisma of all the actors and actresses, and there are some huge names here. So I, I loved his performance, loved everything about it. And here's the thing. I would never knock either of you for those picks. Oh, yeah. Like That's why it's truly a three-headed monster on this, because I think it's just who, whoever you you like the best in this or, you know, for, you know, whatever your reasons are, none of these are wrong answers. Yeah. The coding nerd saves the world. I kind of, I kind of like that. So, and, and he's got that snark. I love his, his independence day slash Jurassic park snark. That yeah. is, that is, that is what makes Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum. Yes. When you're needed and nobody can dismiss you because you've got the only skills that'll save them. Yeah. That's that's a great time to be snarky. They can't do anything about it. As Bill Pullman's face was just like, I hate this guy. Right. <laughs> Andrew, who is your best supporting actor? Long list to pick from. Uh, Judd Hirsch. Excellent pick. Julius Levinson. He brings so much to the table of playing off of Jeff Goldblum and, you know, the and the tension that's going on in the room and particularly the scene where he's like you knew you knew back then and he's like let me tell you there've never been any aliens (laughs) (laughs) well that's it's actually that that's james redborn's uh best line in it too it's like that's not entirely accurate he's like which part (laughs) Brian, Brian, who is your best supporting actor? I, I went with Randy Quaid on this one, mm-hmm. um, just just because. I, and again, I almost said four headed monster. For yeah, this I'd say movie. he's not supporting in my opinion. I yeah, I I almost said four headed monster in terms of main characters because I really do think he deserves that. But I I also couldn't exactly put Jeff Goldblum or Will Smith as a supporting actor because neither of them are. So. I do think that Randy Quaid was kind of tossed into this to be that wild card fourth person where, you know, the th- other three were the focus and that he does have a part to play. And that's the reason he was so prevalent. So I, I, I felt more secure saying Randy Quaid as supporting best supporting. All right. Yeah, I, I'm glad he gets his mention. He gets his vengeance and he has that great redemption of. Hello, boys. I'm back. 
So getting to be the hero at, at the end when everyone's just written him off. He has, exactly. He's got an awesome part, and he plays it really well. And he's got my favorite quote. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get to it in a second, and I'm sure I'll, I will probably have to uh, censor part of it. But no. uh, Oh, good. It's not that one. Uh, I'm agreeing with Andrew, though. I, I like Judd Hirsch. I think he's one of the funniest parts of the movies, and the threat of the end of the world really doesn't break his admittedly slow stride like he's slowly puttering along in this car driving towards the white house and i liked him so much i was tempted to give him mvp he was just that entertaining for me so i that dynamic with jeff goldblum is just amazing and that's part of the reason i have a i have trouble thinking of matthew broderick in that role i need both of those personalities kind of bickering back and forth all right, hidden gems, Andrew. Who's our hidden gem here? You know, this is one of the tougher things, but uh, uh, I think I'm gonna go with uh, Adam Baldwin. Okay. I uh, I enjoy that those the like time he's got on screen when he when he's in Chuck. Um, one of the great lines from the show is, uh, "We're gonna use everybody's natural talents." And uh, Adam Baldwin, guy turns to Adam Baldwin, and he goes, "Your natural talent is your cop face, cop face." And Adam Baldwin <laughs> sure does have cop face. Like, he does have cop face, hundred percent. And so, anytime you cast him in a role where he's an authority figure with a gun, he's pretty much gonna kill him, and he does. <laughs> Excellent pick. I I love the Chuck reference. Brian, how about you? Who's your hidden gem? Oh, Adam Baldwin is also mine. And this is this is this is where I was going to say this is Mr. I'll be in my bunk himself, Adam Baldwin. Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously this is the first thing I ever saw him in. And it's funny because you go back and, and you know, watch Firefly later and loved that show so much. And then I went back not too long after watching Independence Day again. And I was like, oh, it's Adam Baldwin. I had no idea what his name was when I saw it beforehand. You know what I mean? Like, I liked the character in Independence Day. Several years later, I watched Firefly. Loved the show. Go back and watch Independence Day again. And I'm like, oh my god, it's Jane. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I love it when that happens. Because you get appreciation for somebody for something else. And then you remember, you know, or, or get re-reminded later on. Like, oh, he's in this too? Oh, I even liked his character in this. Yeah. But uh, Andrew is 100% correct. He is stewing, just exuding cop face. Yeah, that's how I get with a lot of these movies that I haven't watched in years and years. As, as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, now I know actors' names instead of, haha, neat aliens and things blowing up and, oh, yeah, Will Smith. So now it's, hey, dude from Spaceballs, dude from Chuck. Yeah, yeah. So there's, it's always fun making those connections, and I feel like this is the most accolades that Adam Baldwin has gotten in a while. So two for three. I I went with Harry Connick Jr. I really like. Yeah, yeah, that's a good put. Yeah, that's a good pick too. He, he was he was in consideration. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's. But isn't that what's fun about this movie? Like, I feel like this movie is about as free from wrong answers as you could possibly have. 
give it a chance. I've, I, the next, the next I mean, Russell's might... not on, so, I mean, with us. Maybe. That is true. Yeah. I want to say uh, on that uh, that I feel like we should give a shout out to Vivica A. Fox. The scene with her and the uh, president, uh, the first lady, when she's like, uh, "Oh, I'm a dancer," and she goes, ballet? "Oh, ballet," and she goes, "No, exotic." Like, yes, that scene <laughs> that was fantastic, and I just want to make sure that we mention that scene because it just truly is. It's one of those scenes that you can't remove from the movie. Like you need that little bit of that, like that exchange. That's part of what keeps the fact that we're watching a movie, but the world potentially getting destroyed light enough that you're not sad. Yeah. I listen, I, I can't believe we haven't mentioned them yet, but we have really overlooked probably one of the most compelling characters of this entire movie. And that's Boomer the dog. Yeah. I, you know what? Revisiting this, it's like, Oh goodness! Did the dog die? And there's there's actually a website out there that's called DoesTheDogDie.com that will pre-screen <laughs> a movie and tell you if an animal was injured. Uh, I am really really happy you brought that up because that's information I need. Uh, I've <laughs> never forgiven my wife for Marley and me. Yeah, understand. Hold and, that grudge. Uh, yeah, I, I I actually might die. I I might be on my deathbed and be like, I still don't forgive you. <laughs> That's not a John Wick fan. Yeah. Oh, dude, John. No, no. See, at least in John Wick, you get an hour and a half of this man killing people for his dog, because that's legit. Like, I understand that sort of anger. Yeah. Yeah, it's justified. Don't kill John Wick's dog. But like the Patriot, I'll I might start the movie at like twenty three minutes. Yeah. Basically, I start the movie at John Leguizamo beating that kid's ass. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had to get my Top Gun-y reference here. I mean, it's it's the closest thing to Top Gun here. We've got uh, Goose and Maverick. We've got Wilder and Hiller here. So re- recast. This is where maybe we start getting some wrong answers. Andrew, you want to try first? See if you get a wrong answer? Uh, no, I'll let, let you guys go first. I kind of want to hear what you guys are going to say. Oh, all right, chicken. Brian, yeah. who's your wrong answer? I... I mean, uh, I I have a weird thing where I've never liked Mary McDonnell. Uh, that's the president's wife. Um, <laughs> I, I I felt I felt like she looked a lot older than him in this film, where they're only two years apart. I I went Annette Benning. I feel like okay. she's fairly regal as well. Um, I I just I don't know what it was with Mary McDonnell, but I just I can I think she just made the point of like the the austere mother and i just didn't really fasten on to that well yeah she's very prim and proper in this movie she's she's a very formal lady i guess well i and i'll also say like she she even managed to rub me the wrong way on the rewatch for the podcast because there's the scene where she's in the the hospital room in area 51 and and this is something that I only gathered after being a parent, but her daughter's hugging her and she's like, take her away. I can't. And I'm like, who are you? You're about to die. That's the only thing you should be hugging right now. What the hell's wrong with you? Like I like I was offended by that. And that's not something I even even like considered back in the 90s. And I was like, gosh, I just I, I need to let this go. Yeah, I assume it was don't let my child see me 
die because he later tells her, yeah, your mommy went to sleep. But that's that was my only thought. It was a weird way of saying it, though. Yeah, yeah, I, I sure that that makes more sense. But I'm just saying, like my 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 first toe dip into it, uh, seeing it from that you know arc, I was like, nah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, same with Randy Quaid. One of the last things he says is, "Tell my children I love them very much," which is cool. Yeah, yeah. For me, I, I'm a little afraid because this was your best supporting but i think i'm gonna recast randy quaid's russell Cass. i i kind of want gary Busey here because i just <laughs> feel like gary Busey is far more off his rocker and that's sort of how i want this part to be played i i, I feel like you just picked a different slice from the same apple <laughs> <laughs> that's fair so i'm i'm fine with that all right all right andrew who have you got? okay uh you know how with the with the departed there was a spot where Leo wanted to play the Matt Damon role and Matt Damon wanted to play the Leo role. And uh, I think Scorsese was like, screw that. Do what I tell you and play the roles I want. What I would do is something similar is I would flip, I would switch Pullman with Paxton, but have it be put Pullman and Twister and Paxton as president in this. I think that that would be fantastic. That's interesting. Okay. I I think they're both still really successful movies, so no harm, no foul there. I, I got to think about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting idea because it's not that I can't see. I think Bill Paxton does give a bit more of a roughneck air than Pullman. Yeah. So the, the, the whole the whole Twister piece, I don't know. That, I, that could be completely uh, uh, colored by the fact that I saw them in those roles first. So I don't know. That's, that's an interesting, uh, intellectual. I figured if I just started out by saying, you know, Oh, let's, let's change somebody out for Bill Pullman. Brian might like shoot me. So I was like, I got it. <laughs> hey, I, I love both bills. Uh, it, it, the, one of the happiest things that I had ever seen come from a death was the whole, uh, the, the, uh, storm chaser cars, after bill paxton's death like yeah the thing in the yeah so i like that's awesome like that's 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 what i like to see so no i uh, i was totally into to you know paxton and his roles and and both pullman and paxton have uh you know they, they had important roles in in wyatt earp lore too so i'm 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 all game for both of them I just want to point out how many movies that came out this year have rewatchability. The yeah. weekend before, I believe it was the weekend before Twister came out, because I saw that opening weekend. Uh, I went, it was my girlfriend at the time, the weekend before we saw Mission Impossible. Mm. Oh, yeah, the first one is my favorite, too. You've never seen me very upset. Yeah. And Happy Gilmore came out in 96. Good old Kittredge. Oh, mm. and let's not forget Showgirls. Rewatchability, that, that movie definitely has it. <laughs> yeah, we probably should forget it. <laughs> I mean this was this was hackers year, so you're you're not gonna get I mean, hackers, desperado, Cri- crimson tide, like Yeah, you're Heat? Oh my god, Heat. Seven, Quick and the Dead, Johnny Mnemonic. I I'm, I'm tossing that one in just to anger people. <laughs> <Captain>. <laughs> 
All right, so good year for movies, but uh, I mean, it's usual suspects. Goldeneye was out this year. I mean, it's ah, it's a good yeah. <laughs> Reminiscing, yes. It's a very good year. Amazing year. Empire Empire Records was out that year. All right, I I gotta circle back to our actual awards instead of awarding 90, 1996 the best cinematic year in history, but uh, yes. Best shot. Oh, I thought this was 95. I'm sorry. Everything I just listed was 95. I am keeping so, that because it's funnier that way. For <laughs> you to just be wrong for like two straight minutes. All right, Andrew, best shot. Uh, I think that the uh, White House blown up is probably the pretty easy winner uh, overall. Like we've already talked about it. And I mean, it's one of the most famous scenes in movie history. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they clearly spent extra time with nine separate cameras on it, just trying to get it. How quick did this movie shot? 72 days? Yeah. Yep, 72 days. Not even three months. Dang. No, I mean, there's there's a lot of post work and model work, but yeah, it's... That's a really quick turnaround to get the quality of this movie. When I hear 72 days, I would think, oh, that's going to suck. Or that it's like, that it's like a, not, it's not an action movie. Right. Yeah, that's what you make a paranormal activity on, 72 days, maybe less than that. You don't, you don't make a $100 million plus action movie for this. You can make a Katherine Heigl comedy movie. You shouldn't. No, you it could. should never be made. Should yeah. never. If, if there's an actress that I would just be like, right, maybe Amy Schumer's worse, but the, they're there. Catherine Heigl is in like the bottom five of like, I'll just hard pass on a movie because her name's attached to it. Well, lucky for you. She has pretty much blacklisted herself. Nobody likes working with her anymore. Apparently going yeah. after Seth Rogen is a really bad idea. So. Nobody likes her. No one wants to play with her. No one wants to pay her. Oh, good. Uh, I tell you what, Chad, I, I, I'm totally fine with you keeping that, but I'm super happy to gush over 1996 movies because it's got a bunch <laughs> I really love, too. No, you missed your shot. Okay. <laughs> but you yeah. can have this best shot. Uh, what is your best shot, Brian? I liked the, uh, I actually mentioned it already, but it's when the, the, the fire is just basically caressing the Capitol building. Like, that was such a good freaking shot. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I did really like that. And uh, I was going to say, I would either say that or the the alien weapon closing its doors, like, slightly out of focus with the focus on the, the down Statue of Liberty over a destroyed New York. That was also very good. Uh, you got to get your Planet of the Apes illusion in there. There you go. Yeah, for me, it's... It's the Star Wars shot. It is the mothership that slowly eclipses our entire screen, and we just get this massive scale, this menacing music, and it's just fantastic. I I will never not geek out for giant alien spaceships, so that was awesome to me. Excellent. Best scene, Andrew. I think that there's it's, it's tough in something like this because there are so many really, really top-notch scenes. But I I was torn between two. The what kind of did, like, what do you do? Oh, ballet's so wonderful scene. And the you knew 
you knew back <laughs> in the 50s, 60s. That's not entirely... That That scene is... That's my winner, but it was really close between those two. That is an excellent scene. So you went... I, I'm surprised you've been building up Top Gun and everything else, but you went with dialogue-heavy scenes. I think that the dialogue in this movie is what carries it. Like, you've got Will Smith. You've got Jeff Goldblum. You've got these... You, Pullman, Hirsch. You've got Vivica Fox. Like, you've got all of these people who... Uh, Harry Connick Jr., who are really good. So there's spots where they let them act. They let them do their stuff. And then you get five minutes of stuff blowing up and then you get back to letting them act and they kill it. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. Jeff Goldblum, most of his conversation with Judd Hirsch and with Will Smith is improvised. So they just kind of said, you know what, go do your thing, go be an actor, which Kudos to the director for recognizing these are talented people. I'll let them, I'll let them do their thing within some form of structure. I'm sure, but what they got, I I do feel like you kind of gave a uh, a crotch chop to all the critics there. Of the dialogue is what drives this movie because that is that's what gets poked at the most by critics is the dialogue in this movie. That's un unfoundingly unfair. <laughs> I, I, categorically disagree with everything that anybody has to say about the dialogue in this yeah. movie. See, the problem is is that most people aren't actually witty enough in their real life to make that type of that many one liners. But Fry and I typically have can have a whole conversation where it's just zigging one liners back and forth. So to me the dialogue is a lot more realistic because a lot of times that's how people talk. Yeah. You know, they're they're making zings, you know, they're having fun. And that's how most of the dialogue in this is like there's the tension between Goldblum and Pullman and you know you can like it genuinely seems like that Goldblum wants to punch him in the face and it oh, was... I, I absolutely love the interactions between Goldblum and Will Smith latter in the movie where he's like you really think you can fly this thing you really think you can do all that bullshit you just said exactly like that's that's I mean I sums it up right there <laughs> forget the fat lady you're obsessed with the fat lady all right brian what about you what is your best scene uh president's speech man come all on right. i've been i've been touting it the whole time more it, dialogue yes. that is awesome all right yeah yeah i mean you can't it's hard to top a scene where your extras weren't told to cheer and applaud but were moved to their feet in cheering from an actor so kudos to bill pullman for pulling that off and kudos to the writers for an inspiring speech for me i i did i went with action i went with the grand canyon race i think that's just thrilling it gets me on the edge of my seat it's kind of an homage to the death star trench run but you know what that's fine i'm fine with them saying hey this is really good, so we're going to do it in a slightly different manner. As long as you do it really well and it's fun, I'm I'm down for it. So everything was done really, really well. Will Smith gets some great lines, and it's just 
there all of the fighting scenes i i was sitting there thinking andrew you said it earlier about top gun this is amazing for the dog fighting scenes so i i like all the action in this movie i completely yes. agree it's there's rewatching this movie with this type of intent is definitely in my 10 top 10 favorite movies of all time wow wow high praise high praise okay there's there's a lot going on in this movie but going to zero in on best wardrobe or makeup moment andrew what is your best wardrobe or makeup moment you know, I kind of thought that they uh, did a pretty good job with uh, trying to patch up the first lady, you know, of not going too over the top, but making it clear that these people had just seen death and destruction. Mm. Yeah, that's a good choice. Brian, what about you? What, what's your best wardrobe or makeup moment? I like hungover David. <laughs> just that. That wife beater with the plaid shirt and like he, you know, he's a he's a clean guy. You know, he doesn't smoke, doesn't drink or anything. But how they made him look kind of like sweaty and angry and that that part where he figures it out. I loved that look like that was really well put together. Yeah, his belligerence in that scene. Maybe if we destroy the rest of the planet when they're talking about nuking them. Right. Yeah, that's good. Uh, for for me, I chose Russell Cap's pilot helmet, uh, the old and dusty helmet with the goggles. That's just something, even not having seen this movie for 20 plus years, that stuck with me. That was the costuming that stuck with me. I could remember that very vividly. I think it's fun. It kind of makes him look a little crazy. It adds to the character. So that was the... The wardrobe that I chose. Uh, change one thing. Andrew, what are you changing in this top ten movie for you? You know, I, I don't really have something that I, I want to change very much. Um, there's nothing I really want to change. I'm Like, this is, this is a fun movie. It's supposed to be fun. I don't want to watch Schindler's. Like, I like Schindler's List, but I don't want to rewatch it every year. I, this is a movie I'll rewatch every year around the 4th of July. I, it, I'm not saying it's the best movie of all time, but is it a great movie for what it is? Yeah, I don't want to have anything to change. Okay, all right. Push. That's a push. <laughs> Brian? Mine actually piggybacks on something Andrew said earlier, uh, which I abundantly agree with. If this had been a miniseries or something like that, I would have loved to have seen the rest of the world's dealing with this. Like, I understand okay. it being Independence Day and it being a film, you know, U.S.-based kind of thing. But I, I would have loved more from, you know, give me an SR-71 over Russia. You know what I mean? I Give me, I, you know, what's I, going on I, over China. Surprise answer, which is part of my earlier answer. So. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I and I know I'm I'm probably famous on the podcast for wanting more on on films it's not really so much that i want more it's just that that curiosity you know i one of my favorite shots was you know the israelis next to the palestinians on that desert you know floor obviously fighting with one another against a common enemy like that's 
that's some inspiring stuff. I I, right. I I just like it to dive a little deeper, you know? Yeah, they actually consulted with the Israeli Air Force because they they wanted to know basically how a ragtag or much smaller fighting force would be able to repel a larger in, invader. And that's a lot of what the Israeli Air Force is used to and trained for. So they had to talk to them a lot. And it would be interesting. It would be interesting to get that television series of, okay, you're you're fighting Palestinians one day, and now you've got to put down those the arms, figure it out, because there's a bigger problem, or you're both going to get wiped off the earth. I right. I agree. I I want that. So you guys pitch that to Netflix. It'll get three seasons like everything else and get canceled. But, <laughs> but yeah, pitch that. Thanks to Netflix. for calling Netflix your green lit. <laughs> yep i i like that a lot my change one thing is a lot smaller scale uh, the daughter at the end saying happy fourth of july daddy is super hokey and contrived for me this girl's mom just died a ton of the human race has been eliminated it's not the time for that so get that line out of there and we we talked about hey if this movie were made closer today what else would be changed? I think putting some female pilots in the end. Uh, the president actually says gentlemen to all the pilots, and it made me realize, oh, all the pilots are men. So maybe stick a female pilot in, in there too, just to show that it's really we're get, we're all in. We we it's everybody. It's not just fighting age men. Oh, you're so zeroing in on the wrong part of that statement though. When he says gentlemen, plow the lane. That yeah. was sick. I like, oh my god that's part of the thing oh, like when they just start just drilling ships out of the way that was awesome yes it was yes everything about that was awesome so we talked about this movie is highly quotable it's got a lot of one-liners but andrew what is your best quote got mentioned earlier when will smith says uh that he was supposed to be at a barbecue yeah. Oh, sorry about that. I could have been at a barbecue. The sheer rage at that line is just yeah. fantastic. And I get it. The thing is, I felt that. I like <laughs> even as a kid, I felt that. Like, oh man, a barbecue. <sighs> and that's one of those lines where I've like quoted that before, where like some, you know, you're doing something and you're with a group of people and something stupid happens and it's going to take hours, you know, and you just turn and go. I could have been at a barbecue and everybody just starts packing up because they get it. They're like, Oh yeah, you suck. Your time is being wasted like this. You know, I, I, I I put it in the same tier as I wasn't even supposed to be here today. Yeah. Ocklers. Excellent. Brian, what is your best quote? I use this quote constantly when volunteering for everything I ever do. So this literally might be my top quote in a movie of all time, just based on reusage. And that's, I fly, I'm pilot. <laughs> I, I say that all the time. Like someone comes in and they're like, hey, who wants to do this? I fly, I'm pilot. Like I use that as an affirmative statement so often based on that line from Randy Quaid 
that I, I, I'm not sure if I have a more used movie quote that I implement in everyday life. And now you're surrounded by people that are born after this movie was made and don't get that reference at all. That's fine. I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care at all. Fair enough. And my my best quote, Julius is praying and there's a relieved military officer. He says, I'm not Jewish. And Julius responds, ha, nobody's perfect. <laughs> it's just such a great one liner. Everything Julius says. Uh, John Lennon, John Lennon, smart man, shot in the back. Very sad. <laughs> and I would be remiss if I didn't mention Jeff Goldblum got his Jurassic Park line in here. So as they're going, backing out of the ship, the alien mothership, he does the same line as Jurassic Park with the must go faster, must go faster. So a little bit of kudos for him for sneaking that line in. That is good. All right. We have come to our rating and recommendations. So I I think this is going to go pretty well. I don't think we're going to get many surprises. But on a zero to five star scale, half star intervals, Andrew, what are you giving 96's Independence Day? I'm going to give it a five out of five. Uh, it holds up. I, I really went into this with a pretty critical lens with a movie that I watched, you know, in the past couple of years, twice at least. And oh, my gosh, it was just so much fun. It's like think about the number. Of, I don't. We haven't probably haven't even hit half the one-liners from the movie. Oh no and way! We, We're working movies. on it though. <laughs> it, it it's a five out of five for me. Uh, and you know one of, one of the things that I think is so great that the movie starts with is uh, Randy Quaid's piloting drunk and does the wrong field. Yeah, but it can that's, still fly. That's that's such, talent. <laughs> that's such a weird thing at the beginning of this movie to kick off a movie about the earth getting attacked by aliens it seems like such an inconsequential thing and yet it ends up you know because his role at the end it just it all ties together in a really fun way total five out of five excellent when he when he's flipping switches he's like missile arm he's like turns it off and he's like ah picked a hell of a day to quit drinking (laughs) Hey Brian, I know you're you're not going to use our half star interval, so zero to five. What are you giving Independence Day? This has been an excellent year for film, especially for the podcast. We've we've really knocked a, a few out of the park. I'm giving this one four stars. I understand it has faults. I'm not going to you know put it on a pedestal or anything, but this is one of the most rewatchable movies that we have ever reviewed. So. What I would urge our audience to consider when, you know, if you're one of the folks who doesn't think too highly of this movie, uh, just from a uh, standpoint of, you know, how the Academy rates things. Think about like just just from an entertainment, like the idea is entertaining people. This is a really, really entertaining movie. And. I think it deserves respect for being that entertainment quality. Yeah. I I think this is one of the best popcorn films of all time. Yes. I'm going to come in 
in between you guys, I went with four and a half. I some of the dialogue is a little bit hokey in the unnecessary storylines. Uh, there's the teenagers of you don't want to die a virgin, and honestly, the Vivica Fox storyline didn't work very well for me. I think it's what keeps it out of the Jurassic Park five star action type movies. But I'm thrilled we revisited this film. I was scared of it. I was scared that it would take away something that I loved as a child. So four and a half. Absolutely agree with both both of you guys. Everything you said. This is wonderful. Ignore all the critics with the stick up their bums. This is a fun movie. Go see it. Brent, you want to help us pick a movie for next time? Let's do it. So we've had our action film, but what about the second action film? You can never have enough, right? So we're going with three action films, all from the 2000s. Option number one is Domino from 2005, a recounting of Domino Harvey's life story. The daughter of actor Lawrence Harvey turned away from her career as a Ford model to become a bounty hunter. Option two, The Expendables from 2010, a CIA operative hires a team of mercenaries to eliminate a Latin dictator and a renegade CIA agent. Or option three, Crank from 2006. Professional assassin Chev Chelios learns his rival has injected him with a poison that will kill him if his heart rate drops. I think we'll go with Crank. All right. Little, little, little Jason Statham never did anyone harm. Okay. All right. Looking forward to Crank is our next episode. Andrew, thank you for filling in. This has been an awesome time. I'm glad you enjoyed the movie. It's always fun talking to you. Oh, definitely anytime. Yep. Yep. And thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. So producing and providing this podcast is fun, but it's not free. We invite you to support the show at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable. Any contribution is very much appreciated, and we'll go towards buying Ferraris for each of us. As always, thank you for listening, be good to each other, and watch more movies. Brian? Would you tell me, please, Mr. Howard, why should I trade one tyrant 3,000 miles away for 3,000 tyrants one mile away? I hate you so much right now. Ha 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 ha!